Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Tim Gordon on the show, a local investor here. He's in Oceanside, California, which is just north of San Diego. And guys, this is probably one of the funnest episodes I've ever recorded. It was really cool. We sort of switched up the format a little bit, which was fun, but I had a blast. Uh, Chi, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, I, I think I mentioned that Tim brings that out in people. He's just so relaxed and we have the whole yogi surfer vibe going on with him. And, and it was really fun. We got to get into some just kind of roundtable, long form discussion with not too much structure. And so I really, really enjoyed that. But he still did get into talking about ADUs and gave us a little tip on this delayed financing ex exemption. I won't go too far into that, but yeah, I, I obviously really enjoyed it as well, him being a, a friend of mine. So, Dre, what'd you think? Coffee with Tim. Like, this is super chill. This is super fun. I loved it. We never had an episode where we were just vibing. Like, And again, as you mentioned, for our listeners, actually, your most value came at the very end of the show with the very last question. So pretty much what that means is you're going to have to stop and listen to the whole thing because <laughs> it was in the Geo Donald round where it was supposed to be a very short question and we just got into it and we went back and forth and back and forth. But it was great. I think the other thing that I liked that he was talking about at the very beginning was squeezing as much as you could out of the ADUs. That was some great uh, knowledge gems that mm -hmm. he dropped on that mm -hmm. that I never heard anybody say before. So if you all want to hear about that and how you can squeeze even more out of your ADUs from what you're even permitted for, definitely listen to the episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Multifamily Butter Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I got Ike Eke and Chi Nguyen, my other host. We got Tim Gordon in the house as our guest. But before we introduce him with his beautiful background, I got to check in with the other hosts. What's going on? I'm doing good. Um, we're on this like uh, podcast, like marathon right now and doing great. Like <laughs> a lot of uh, awesome heavy hitters today and Tim being one of them. So I'm excited about it. How about you, Ike? I'm doing good as well. I'm doing good as well. You know, I, I recently started Invisalign to talk about something that has nothing to do with real estate. <laughs> um, and I, I went in this morning because they needed to put like some material on my teeth to make them move. doesn't matter. Move, move faster. But anyway. I'm I'm trying my best to power through and not have that big of a list uh, when I'm talking to everybody. Otherwise, <laughs> all all nominal, everything's good here, uh, and I'm doing great. Dre, how you doing, boss? I think you're doing fantastic, man. I didn't notice anything <laughs> until you did list. I was gonna say that too. I was like, I didn't even notice until like literally two podcast episodes in. I was like, wait, he started. <laughs> great, sounds great. Couldn't even tell. And it's funny because they make lisp a very difficult word for people with lisps to say. Anyway. <laughs> Additionally cruel. <laughs> I actually wanted to get in. Uh, my brother is a dentist. He's my dentist. And he's like trying to get me to get Invisalign too. And I just found out today that my insurance doesn't cover it. So I was going to join the lisp club. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I will anyway. I've always thought that like retainers are super cute. When I was in elementary school, I wanted retainers. <laughs> anyway, how are you, Dre? I'm doing good. Um, I don't have any interesting list stories. I see stories like Ike, but I mean, I guess today I learned a lot about Zoom, folks. Listen, she gave me a crash course on Zoom. All all three marathon episodes is I've learned a new thing about Zoom. Just mind blowing. 
uh, which is essentially just a fear of losing you guys valuable episodes when we record. And she was like, Dre, you don't have to do that. Just do this. And I'm just like, it's, it's my mind is blown right now. Like I'm shocked. Uh, forever going to change the game of recording podcasts after this. Cause thanks to Chi. So you guys, when you see Chi at the meetup, just, just be like, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, without further ado, allow me to introduce Tim Gordon, our guest for today. He's out of Oceanside, California, right here, just north of San Diego. So he shares the sunshine with us. Uh, he's a real estate investor, obviously. And uh, I like what he put in his, his bio. He, he invests for a lifestyle, as a lifestyle choice. And, and he wants to create a lifestyle around real estate investing. Uh, he's soon to have his first child, which is awesome as well. So without further ado, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, fun. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so tell the audience, you know, what you do in real estate, um, you know, how you got into the, into the industry and, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've been full-time in real estate investing since 2014, which suddenly it's like, that's a long time. I didn't really feel <laughs> like it. Like it just felt like I was hanging out and all of a sudden like I'm 40. Um, <laughs> to launch out. Uh, yeah. But, um, I've been wholesaling, flipping, and doing rentals in San Diego since 2012. And so I had kind of my entry was just wholesaling, flipping, buying rentals while working W-2. And then I worked my way up to, you know, hitting my number, quit my W-2, focused on doing real estate. I wouldn't really say full-time, I'd say kind of like part-time. And then just ran through my 30s, like doing deals, traveling, doing deals, traveling until you know, now, and now I'm sort of hitting a new phase, which is like the just sort of working on cash flow, building that up and starting a family. So that's, that's interesting what you said in there, where you said you were, you know, working at W2 while you were doing wholesale deals, flips, uh, buy, buy and holds until you hit your number. Let's, let's, let's sort of dive into that. Cause I know for a fact, there's a lot of people in the audience that sort of want to follow that same line where they, they want to continue their W-2, but also build a portfolio and do some transactions in real estate until they are able to hit that quote unquote number. So tell us about, you know, the thought process behind creating that number and, and sort of the psychology of that. Yeah. It'd be my pleasure. So it, it occupied a ton of brain space. I will say that. So like when it was coming to quit, like that decision to like, let it go or not, occupied so much headspace. For me, what helped was kind of setting parameters. I was running a real estate business, so it was a little bit different than say somebody who's uh, retiring or stopping working because their cash flow number is covering their monthly not. For me, it was, okay, I'm doing enough deals where it's making me way more than my day job is. And for a long time, I did both. And then it hit a point where the free time was worth more and I wanted to travel more. I felt confident enough in the business and I bought quite a few properties. So the biggest thing back then, and I'm not a lender, so I don't really know if that's the case today, but the biggest thing was getting loans and you had to have a steady W-2. So I didn't want to quit any jobs until I'd really maxed out my ability to do those loans. And once I'd sort of check the box on the loans and check the box on savings and check the box on what the business was doing, I let it go. And so to, to sort of illuminate the audience a little bit more on that, can you talk about that W-2 requirement in lending that, that you referenced there? Sure. So if, if you're working a day job, this is what I like to, the funny thing I encounter a lot with like new investors is they almost don't like 
having a day job, but having a day job is a great thing because it gets you access to loans. And if you don't have access to loans and you're paying cash for everything and that doesn't go very far. So if you got a good city W2, good work history, when you apply to get a loan on the property, you're going to get financed for it. And you could put as little as three and a half percent down, uh, which is what I did on my first purchase. So that's probably how I, I don't know the numbers, but I mean, it's got to be almost every, every average normal investor. That's how they start for the most part. I'm sure there's cash buyers, but for the most part, that's how you begin. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would imagine the vast majority of our audience, you know, that's how they're going to start because quite frankly. The, one of the biggest barriers to entry to invest in real estate is, you know, that first down payment or, or that large lump sum that you need. Absolutely. Most people that are able to do that in the 20 to 25% or 30% realm are people that are business owners or legacy wealth or things of that nature. Whereas the vast majority of, you know, entry level real estate investors are going to do a house hack, a VA or FHA loan. And like you said, um, one of the requirements to obtain such a loan is to have a W-2 income. So, uh, I guess we should say, you know, don't quit your day job. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. I know a lot of people who didn't want to work or thought it was lame and, um, they probably didn't own a lot of rentals or still down. I mean, it just like, that's that grind or let's say grind, but that's a sacrifice you make at the beginning and it's well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward to, to, you know, today in like the modern era of your, of your journey, what does your day look like as sort of a real estate entrepreneur, real estate investor that doesn't really, really have a W-2 or anything of that nature? Oh man, that's a, uh, I don't really do anything all day long. I go to yoga classes, like, <laughs> um, so I Twitch on YouTube, I delete apps off my phone during the week, try to use up. I don't do a whole lot right now. Um, I, I just sort of maintain things, but that's sort of one of the phases. But if I work on deals or make, you know, and things aren't more turnkey, then I guess I'd be focusing on that stuff. But as of right now, I'm just doing very little maintaining rentals, pushing plans for ADUs through. I do some, uh, a lot of web marketing, but the lead flow for that is a lot slower it's inbound. So it's more reactionary than it would be to say like doing outbound phone services and things like that. So I've kind of dumbed down my business where I just sort of enjoy my day and go to yoga classes and surf. Yeah. This is why we get along. Both do yoga, <laughs> we both surf. Right. Um, but Tim, last time I, well, actually two or several previous times I saw you at I Survive Real Estate for Bruce Norris's event, you had just started exploring doing your ADU. And so it sounds like you're way further along the process. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going? Yeah. I mean, so for anybody that owns real estate in California, you know, the ADUs, those you know, grinding flats, accessory, accessory dwelling units, it's a killer play. I mean, you're probably... 10% back on your money, which I mean, that's just a no brainer. So adding some ADUs properties on ocean side. And I think if that goes, we are once that goes well, then add it to some other ones that I own, you know, across the city, but the laws are just so good, that uh, um, I'm able to do that. The one nice thing is I don't have to refinance anything because I've owned them a while. So I'm using capital I already got put away. So that's like the biggest catch. I think as long as you can finance ADUs, you, you built one. So, you know, that yeah. Yeah, I, I built mine using cash out refi, but right now I'm, uh, I found the largest ADU lender in California. I just had a talk with her the other day. So you do have to live in it. It does have to be your primary residence. Um, so that's the catch, but she seemed really cool. So I'm, I'm going to explore that option, but wasn't there something interesting about your deal about how to build it and where to build it? Or, I think there was some sort of interesting 
Yeah, I'm trying to max it out. I mean, the my biggest takeaway, like the whole topic of ADUs, we can talk about forever. I mean, like it's just endless. And uh, you know, basically, cities are going to tell you what they want you to build. If they're actually not in charge, it's the state who's made all those laws because the city wouldn't even let you build an ADU if they had their say. So, I mean, we're maxing it out. We're going to stuff in two units when even the designer told us not to try some plans for two units property. Just did it. And the city says, okay. So we're doing like a new construction ADU and JADU. And you're only supposed to be able to do JADUs from existing footprint, I guess. But anyways, I mean, the long story short is just really like, if you want to build like a regular old ADU, you know, that's simple, you can go that route and see the average investor, that's great. But if you want to get creative and like max out units, California pencils out, then you should really get aggressive with the ADUs and know the law inside out. And that's what we're doing so we can get twice the units and keep a driveway that they're going to tell us to get rid of all that kind of stuff that it's been dragging out forever. I think it's definitely like a secondary business thing. Like you do it. That's like your side thing. I couldn't see it being like a full-time business. Like that would probably not really be very profitable. So, so with, with the, you know, the popularity of, of ADUs, especially here in, in San Diego and Southern California, where would you recommend someone who's absolutely green and doesn't really know much about the development of ADUs to start their learning process, to learn as much as they can to learn the tax code, or sorry, the, the permit code in order to take advantage of these opportunities. Probably meetups. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on someone's personality, right? Like one of my biggest takeaways, like recently, it's just been like, everyone's different, right? So like, depending on what your personality style is, like that's going to be applied to tax. But for, for a lot of people, that's either going to be like networking, like crazy you know talking to people who've done it getting and that's gonna be super helpful or dive into the data and probably those you know but getting out there and seeing stuff i mean i'd be like thinking about homes with detached garages and homes with large flat lots and pursuing things like that you know and like having that as like your general list of things that you're going to pursue like if you want adu you're not going to go buy a condo or a townhome or a house that has no usable space beyond, you know, its existence of print, you know, things like that. But I'd probably say meetups be the way to go. When it's you pretty building, fun walking like a construction site. Yeah. When you were building your, uh, your rentals in San Diego, I know you said you started with the FHA route with a three and a half percent down, but at some point, obviously you climbed from that. I know you were flipping and you were wholesaling, but how did you, did you just use the profits that you were doing from wholesaling and flipping to then buy the additional units to San Diego. So what was that trajectory like throughout that, that wild 30s you spoke of? Yeah. Most of it was just profits from that. I refinanced one property, but most of it was just living, you know, just living really affordably. I'd always like rent out rooms in a house. And, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with something called the delayed financing exemption. It's no, like this, please. Oh, it's no. like this little lending, I'll say loophole, but so I, right, let's just say you got 300 grand, Ike, and you're going to like go buy a house and like, that's your money. No one's lent it to you. You know, like there's no like strings attached to it. And so you just go buy this 300 K house and you know that it's probably worth like 400 once you fix it up and put about 50 grand into it. So you got your 300 K house, you paid cash, you put 50 K into fixing it. And let's say it took you six weeks to get it fixed because you're really good at what you do. So you've got 350 K in this house. You can now call the bank and be like, I want a loan on this property. And, um, I want it now and you don't have to wait for the season or anything. Cause that was your cash. So they'll give you a loan and they're only going to give it for the purchase price plus the closing costs. So that's going to be like, say $303,000. 
But so in a span of six weeks, you could buy a house, fix it and get 300 K of your 350 K back and, and be rented and back on the road. So it was like a, kind of like a really aggressive burr, like the cash buyer burr way of doing deals. Yeah. And you can still do that today. And, you know, to expand on that, um, with that strategy, it allows you to buy properties that maybe have some code violations or some zoning issues, and you can fix those, add, you know, substantial amounts of value to the property. And then again, like you said, go and go and finance it and, and do it again. So that That's really it. opens you up to, to the ability to take down some of those properties that aren't, aren't necessarily coveted by those traditional investors. Yeah. I, that is the game changer. Like you nailed it. That's absolutely it. And it was like one house in like the perfect location you know, that I'd really wanted for years and, uh, it'll make all the difference. So it's, it, it's kind of crazy to think it's not even really like a, you know, putting that much work into it. It's just like timing it right and being ready when the opportunity hits and then knowing the way to sort of execute it. All right. Yeah. I, I would have had no chance to buy that property with a loan, you know, ever would never occur. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a cool trick. That is a cool trick. Yeah, well. I don't know why I didn't know that. So <laughs> yeah. great. Thanks. <laughs> I had to explain it to the lender the first time I did the refi. I was like, I know you can do this. Like I've checked. So that, cause this I, question delayed financing. Exactly. I know. I imagine that was complicated. So if the lender, cause I mean, if you're on the end and you're explaining that to them, they're, they're probably confused. So then how did you get that pushed through then? If they were confused, you had to explain it to them. Yeah. You know, the lenders, I mean, they're, and this isn't to say anything, um, I'm not like speaking down on them, but like, they're mostly kind of like salespeople. They're at that, like, or like that sales level of the kind of the company. So once it goes to the person that's the next level up and they're like, oh, you know, the guy wants to do this type of loan, they know what it is. And then they just get you in touch with the right people. So, okay. I think any, it's just not like something like a newer person's about. You, you got any other, uh, tricks in your hat you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Well, Since the biggest we one, because I, I get to sound really smart right now, but I don't know everything, but the trick, which we all know is like just having a really good Rolodex and, you know, being a good person and knowing good people and being happy to be vulnerable and share your problems, and ask questions, and call people. And every deal I think like my first deal, it was a really challenging, it was a four unit in San Diego. And I just called everyone like, and I got like a lender, I got a contractor, I got confidence to kind of really take it down. But just having, you know, a group of people I called and ran it all by. So that's what gets me to, you know, sound really astute on this topic. <laughs> Investing is a team sport. I heard that from Gary Johnson and it's so true. It's so crazy how. It is. Couple, yeah. A couple of phone calls can make all the difference in the world. Um, yeah. I just recently, I was telling uh, Dre and Ike back in December that I had an HVAC go out and it was a nightmare because it obviously like in L.A., uh, it was raining and pouring. This is a property in LA, not in San Diego. But and so HVAC companies were way, way the heck backed up. And I finally found somebody from one of my mastermind groups, and he charged uh, her contractor charged me like half of what everybody else was charging me. I I saved seven grand by going with him and just knowing the right people. So yeah, um, yeah. To, to there's like a contractor secret code, and I swear if they get the the message that that's like, Hey, this client is just like the other clients and they'll pay you on time and they're no BS, but yes. you better do the work. Right. And like, they get that secret, like handshake and we all agree on it. And then like, we get that better price, but they just want to know you're not that heady client before they're going to give you that right. price. 
Right. The, and that frame. That's awesome. I was, I was just going to say that I, I 100% true that there's like this secret society of, of, of contractors <laughs> and, and, and the way to, the way to, I swear, the way to access them is by getting their information from another investor. Yes. Um, because the way from their perspective, you know, that investor is basically vouching for you that you're not going to screw them over. You're not going to like try to lowball them on, on, you know, their, their quotes and stuff like that. And if they, if you do that for them, I mean, and when I say that, that I mean, not lowballing them, not just being forthright, they tend to, you know, work in a, in a transparent and forthright way as well. It's almost a re reciprocation of, you know, just good nature. And that referral from another uh, real estate investor is sort of the key to that, because if they had a good experience with that real estate investor and they assume that because they're being referred to you by that real estate investor, that you're close with them as well. They don't want to ruin that relationship. And they know that they're, that real estate investor that you got the referral from is putting their reputation on the line with you. So you wouldn't want to ruin the relationship. So that's sort of how that, that comes to be. But when you find some guy, you know, on Yelp or, you know, for the boomers out there in the yellow pages, um, it's just <laughs> a, just a random person that you don't know. Everybody sort of has their guard up and oh, yeah. isn't, isn't working as, as uh, transparently as usual. Yep. And it's repeat business, right? So uh, my friend from my mastermind group who I got that contractor reference from, she's worked with him for on a ton of projects. She does some really high-end flips in Los Angeles. And um, yeah, it was like one thing after another. I'm like, here, here you go. Here's your payment. He's like, awesome. And he and just went straight after it. And And the other thing also too is, yeah, you're right. There is that secret code because I actually recently walked another property with another contractor. And he was like, so is this like your primary residence or is this a rental? I was like, it's a rental. He's like, okay. And I was like, why do you, have <laughs> I'm going to give you a different pricing, obviously. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and he's like, yeah. he thought I was just a homeowner. And I was like, no, no, you got my number from another investor. So, so yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the lesson in there is that, you know, when you do get access to those really good contractors or just any real estate professional at all, don't screw them over because, um, that contact is worth much more than any couple of bucks that you'll save on whatever one contract you do with them or whatever one transaction you do with them, you know, treat those relationships as gold because that's really what they are. Yeah. Oh, I actually got my first deal of fourplex out of real estate in San Diego. So shout out to Lenska. Oh, Lenska, you know, Lenska. That was Lenska. She got me the contractor. She got me the lender. She went above and beyond. Oh, wow. Look yeah. at that. All right, well, we're going to move on to the legacy round. She, you want to kick it off? Yes. So the legacy round, um, it's an open forum where we're going to ask you uh, to share on one of three things. So either your favorite acquisition that forever changed the tra trajectory of your business or practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. I think we already touched on the last one. So I'm going to say maybe the first or second one, or maybe practical tips on how to grow a portfolio. I mean, I mean, yeah, because the first deal like feels like a bit of a, an ego stroke. I mean, <laughs> practical tips. Um, I mean, you just got to keep stuff, got to keep stuff. Like, I mean, and this is coming from someone who's wholesale flips. So I've got a lot of ones that got away uh, <laughs> time, but I mean, and I think to keep stuff, like you got to know exactly what you want. So you, uh, it requires being very specific, like intentional and clear goals, property types, and then being okay, uh, reassessing that I'd probably say maybe annually, 
I'm even like to like, okay, are they still serving me? And those are my biggest takeaways after a decade is like, one, I should have kept way more deals because just owning them over time pays off. And then two, just being really specific. Every time I got really specific, it was just like the opportunity appeared right in front of me. The minute I just said like, this is what I want. And then other than that, um, I'm trying to think like biggest other takeaways, partnerships. I mean, I've seen them go good and bad, so it's tough. Um, I've done most things mostly on my own, so it's been very headache free, but I, I have seen limitations to my growth because of that. And so, you know, that's twofold. I've got some friends who spent like a lot of time with lawyers and such, and that doesn't look like a better alternative. But I look at that going forward and I'm like, okay, if I want to challenge myself and grow like from where I'm today to the next, you know, say the next decade, looking back, that's definitely an area where I really want to challenge myself and see if I can, you know, pursue partnerships to grow more. Yeah. So I think those are my takeaways as of right now. I like that a lot. I just want to touch on that really quick is uh, one of my first mentors who also is a, does wholesaling. He said, how can you possibly know how to find something if you don't know what you're looking for. Yeah. And he gave me that lesson right off the bat. And I was like, okay, he's like, sit down, look, tell me like what you're looking for. And I, and I came up with three bedroom, two bath, one story, a thousand to 1800 square feet, two car garage, you know, for my rental buy and hold. And then what do you know? You put that in the search and then <laughs> things pop up and you're like, okay, I want them in, you know, Mira Mesa and Poway and Oceanside. And so it's like, yeah, it, you, you have to know that. So, yeah. So funny. I was laughing with somebody else because we were talking just about like the real estate world and like you got like your folks who are in their like 20s to 30s and they are so energetic. And then you got your people in like your 30s, like late 30s, 40s, like right there. And they seem to be a little bit more calm. And then you got like your folks, like there's like a whole hierarchy and series of it. And like if you make it through, like there's certain adjustments that are just going to be needed along the way. But okay. Well, so we'll move on to the Giordano round, Dre. All right. This is my favorite round. As you know, this is the multi-family by the size podcast. Giordano's is the number one pizza spot there. So we named it after that thick, meaty slices of pizza. Just leave me with your mouth full. So it's going to be a series of questions between Ike, myself, and Chi that we're going to ask you. It's just going to be rapid fire. So the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world? Tim. And want them to remember you by. I see you. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I heard this episode and I heard this question, and like the only thing that comes to mind is just screaming the word fuck if I'm right off. Yes. So let's come to that one. The most realistic answer would be really <laughs> everybody's trying to be all deep. <laughs> I was like, closing my eyes, you know, I don't like, you know, you got a nice voice. I'm listening to it. I'm like, all right, I'm on top of the mountain. And I died. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I love it. All right. Number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? Uh, this is a great question. Um, thought about this one too. I, so I listened to another episode to kind of get me ready. I think the biggest takeaway looking back is just that you got to be really comfortable with who you are. So that doesn't mean like having bad habits and just saying, oh, that's who I am. But, um, you know, our personalities are certain ways. There's things that we sort of like to do and habits and like careers and such. And it, life is going to go so much easier if you can align that with, with you know, your goals and your dreams. And the, the more you can do that, probably the more effortlessly things are going to go your way. And, uh, and then for me, I say that it, it brings me more peace, right? Being accepting of maybe the skills that I don't have and embracing all that I do. Uh, 
all while obviously not like using it as an excuse to be lazy. Oh man, that's got to be one of my favorite answers. Yeah, that's really good. That question. Yeah, seriously, because I, I think we talked about another episode too about being genuine and I've gotten that feedback too before. I'm pretty loud, you know, and I laugh <laughs> a lot and I'm not like very like professional all the time. And I, but everybody's always giving me that feedback. They're like, you're so genuine, you know, and you read that no matter what you are. Well, you don't have to be loud like me. It's probably not recommended, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, and it's great because people will give, will feel that vibe from you and they don't feel like they need to, to pretend to be something around you that they're not. And then yeah. get to that level right away where you're like, I mean, I think that's why you and I bonded right away because you're, you know, I made fun of your man bun and I was like, you know, and I was, you know, it was great. And, and we're like, okay, well, let's talk deals and let's talk life. What do you want from life? And so that's how you kind of get to know what the, the other party wants and you can help them. And, and I'm always keeping in the back of my mind, okay, like Tim wants to do this. And I've texted you before, like, hey, this is, this is like maybe a good thing for you to go and check out, you know? So yeah, I agree. Great answer. All right, number three, vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Okay, well, all right. So personality-wise, like this is more aimed at me. So I'm sort of like a more like smaller operator. I'm going to want to know like net income or the expenses. Like, that's about it. I want to know like, what does it bring in? What does it cost? I guess being California too, I probably want to know, hey, you know, can, can I put an ADU in it somewhere? That's like the best play there is. For the general public uh, or the bigger world, if like, the syndicators are multifamily, it's probably debt service coverage ratio. And that one's probably like, you know, pretty ugly in the future. Folks who want to refi out of their situations that they're in right now. But for like, you know, the average like smaller guy, it's just net income, you know, what's it, and what's it making? And the best way to underwrite a deal, I personally think, is just looking at the expenses. I mean, you can instantly tell if someone's like even trying just by the expenses. All right. Education and critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Oh, this is such a good question too. Like for the listeners, uh, the takeaways on this part. Uh, there's an author called Gay Hendricks. I've been a really big fan of. He's got a book covers relationships, one that covers living, one that covers uh, kind of expands on self sabotage things like that. So I think anything by Gay Hendricks, I think is fantastic. And then. Um, I kind of departed the mastermind world for a few years. I actually did notice it had a, a little bit of a negative impact on my business. And so I've, uh, you know, went to a few this year and doing a bit more. One I recently attended is called, um, commercial Academy through a real commercial real estate group. And that was very serious, like high level stuff. So I think, you know, depending on where you're at, I mean, I think local networking is great. If you're newer, I think the high level stuff's hot, better. If you're sort of like full-time real estate investor, you should be really dedicated something probably like. 10 to 20 K a year mastermind, like London's or, um, collective genius, I would say, but, uh, yeah. So that's where my focus has been. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm actually probably going to take your advice on that. Literally enjoying one of those. Um, which what the commercial abundance probably. Yeah. That's actually the one I'm, I'm pretty much set to join go abundance. I think too, I wanted two years ago and, um, have been re-listening re some of the podcasts, so yeah, I think that's a good one. That's yeah, good and, things. Yeah, and that's that's a that's another thing that I really realized and learned in in my investing career is um, 
you know, I, I run a mastermind. It's free. It's a small group of local investors in LA. But like I told you, it saved me seven grand, you know, just like just being in that group. I go to a trip in Aspen every year and that's not cheap going to Aspen, but I'm there meeting 10 to 12 investors who are like so dialed in. They know every, and it pays for my trip every time I learn something and I'm like, oh, let me make a quick, however many dollars on this, this deal, because I learned something at that mastermind, you know? So it's, it's interesting. I used to be very, I used to poo poo that. I used to be like, why would I join something and pay 10? Oh, gee, you owe me this name. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah, I was like, why would you do that? They work. It pains me. Yeah. Great sum of money has great effects, but it does. Yeah, it does. And and I used to, I yeah, like I said, I used to be like, oh, I'm not going to join a mastermind because I could take that money and put it into a deal and learn faster, right? I still think that about classes, but masterminds are different. Like, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a balance, you know, I mean, we've all met those folks who sort of like our event junkies or seminar you know, that's all they do. And they really seems to be and that's one extreme. And then the others, the person is just off by themselves. And, and that's not very effective either. And this is quite a lonely business uh, for like motivation and mental health, accountability and strength, the ability to like take things down, um, that network and some type of mastermind is, is money well spent. I, I have to just, just to jump in real quick on that. I, I have to 100% agree in that, um, more for the networking and masterminding that's that's the value and that sort of stuff for me because whenever i go to any of those events any real estate based events or even entrepreneurship based event and come out of there i always get more energized to like stick with it and, and you know build business and, and do more so for me it's just like a, a reboost you know you're like me i that's how i feel and and i don't say this in a way to like look down on others but i see these people doing these awesome things and i'm like oh wow i could probably do that too you know like, <laughs> Yeah. It's motivating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a balancing act. I think Ike and I, man, before we even had she come on as the other host, we had a few discussions like offline talking about this because it could be overwhelming. Like there was at some point where I was, man, Monday through Friday, I was at a real estate meetup around Southern San Diego. It was ridiculous. And I mean, you would go into the you in the week, you're like, oh my goodness, like I've got so many connections and I've been, you know, you where does your time go? You feel yeah. like you can't keep up, but that's why I said it, it, you gotta, man, you gotta keep it in perspective. It's it's that because of the time and focusing on building relationships that are fruitful, yeah, not just knowing everyone. Exactly. Because exactly. because man, it came to a point where you go up in a meetup and like, Ike, you know, we can go somewhere and be like, oh yeah, like everyone knows Ike. You know what I mean? But it's like, are all those relations are are those? You okay? Is it all useful? Are they useful? Okay, so yeah. it doesn't make sense to know everyone in the room, but I'd rather know two or three people that I really build genuine, she used the word genuine, which I love, yeah. genuine fruitful relationships with. The other thing, though, that I say is perspective is you look at the people that are more seasoned and that they have built their business and, and they, they're their own, and, you know, let's say they own half of San Diego or, or whatever it may be. A lot of them don't go to the meetups as well. No. And that was the other thing that like I started to realize because I, I was going to meet a couple of those cats and you speak to them and they, like I said, they don't go. So then you you think you some at some point you think to yourself, you're like, okay, why don't you go? Where do you go? <laughs> That's like, a good you know question. Like, right why don't, why don't do you, you know what I mean? Like, why don't you know what I mean? Like you're going somewhere. You go <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> so it's like where you go. So well, Dre, Dre, I I think. You know, I'm obviously, I'm I'm not the the person to answer the question. I'm not one of those people, but I think like those people have had like a lifetime of just natural networking by way of just doing business that they don't really need to have that 
like, you know, concentrated place where they're meeting a bunch of people um, and they don't really need, you know, that that networking atmosphere. And that sort of lends to your previous point where, you know, a lot of people will go and meet a thousand people, grab a bunch of business cards, but not actually build connections. Um, I, I personally think that the value in networking is going deep instead of wide. Like, who cares how many people yeah. you met at the networking event? If you can meet two people and build lifelong business relationships or just friendships, you did much better than that person yeah. that went and met 100 people and handed out all their business cards and all that sort of stuff. Because the real value is in knowing a person to the point where you know, oh, I know, I know Dre can use this um, service or this piece of advice because I met him and talked to him in depth at a networking event months ago. That's, that's the value of networking right there. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. I think also too, it's, it's, it's time. So, and that's the other part of it. Like, that's why I say it, it truly is a balancing act because you can also go to all these meetups, right? And, but sometimes depending on where you're at in your business and scalability and what and deals that time might be better suited analyzing a deal or working on that business. True that, true that. So that's why I say, man, it's a balancing act. You yeah. really got to like, you got to figure out where you're at in life and, and, and writing your goals and what you're trying to accomplish because that's the other side of the coin that I felt like I was in. And 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 I think I think you and I can both attest. I feel like last year, that's where I was at. Like I yeah. did not, it was like the first year and a half I was like, in it and then like last year i was like far removed yeah and then like yeah. this year i'm like literally starting this month i'm like back in it so it just depends yeah you're bringing up so much i have so many points to everything that you just said do, Dre, it, see, do it yeah okay because okay you guys know i lived in la for 10 years right went to ucla yeah. and i like kept getting pulled back there even though it's nowhere near as cool as San Diego. So <laughs> I, while I was there, though, you think about it, I was going like, Dre, I went to meetup events every single day. That means Saturday and Sunday, too. So I would go to like Phoebe Pasadena. I'd go from Pasadena to like San Gabriel Valley to Manhattan Beach to Long Beach to Cerritos to South L.A. to downtown L.A. I mean, and by the way, for those of you that aren't familiar with L.A. traffic, that is crazy. It's All over. crazy. <laughs> All over. It's- Crazy. I once drove over two hours in traffic to San Gabriel Valley. It was like two and a half hours just to go to a meetup. And on the way there, guys, I promise you, I was thinking, why am I doing this? I'm killing (laughs) my... You're going hungry. I mean, it's kind of a sign of honestly, like, if if someone is behaving like that when they're new, like, it's kind of fun. I mean, they got to taper it off eventually. But, you know, for a few months, like, go wild. Go to every meetup. Soak it all in. You just have to, like, Two months in, maybe like dial it back and then switch that effort into action. Yes. So I, so here's the thing. I, so I was thinking, why am I doing this? And I went there and I met the one person who's changed my real estate investing career the most at that event. And so going back to what you guys were saying, going deep, not, not wide. It's so true. Like even Tim, last time I saw you at a real estate event, you and I just sat in a corner talking for like, what, 30 minutes? Like, and I see other people at these real estate events where they hop to one person, they talk like, hey, this is me, this is my card. And then they go, hey, this is me, this is my card. And, and I, don't, I don't know that anybody's going to like super remember that. I guess if you had a card, it'll be useful. But basically for me, the, the plan, we were just talking about having a plan um, on, a, on a previous pod- podcast, the plan or the, the way I've now started approaching it is exactly what you guys said. I get my deals done first. I do all the stuff that I need to do during the day. 
And then if I and I try to go to something at night or do recordings and stuff. And then if at some point I feel like I'm going to an event and I'm not excited to talk to anybody and really, really like not happy to be there, I dial it back. So it's it's like that balancing act that you're like, okay, I need some time to like chill by myself, too, because I can get into that rhythm Um, of doing everything all the time. Um, So, yeah. And one quick interruption, because we were asking these questions, where these people go. So two days ago. I went snowboarding with someone at a snow summit who's a very well, you know, experienced real estate investor. And I know he goes snowboarding up there. And I know who always, you're talking about. He's, yeah, his name's Jay Sherman. He's a really nice guy. Yes. And then like, but like he, he'd go snowboarding with anybody. So like, if you love real estate and you're like, Hey man, I'm going to be up at the, you know, the runs this day, he'd go ride with you. And if you want to talk real estate, talk real estate with him. Uh, and we did, you know, a whole bunch of topics. That's just a good example where, um, is sort of career advances or interest advances in real estate world. Like there's still great ways to people, but for a lot of the well-seasoned ones, they want to go do something fun. And so if they just have someone fun to hang out with, go do the things they like, that's where you really make your friends. Cause surprisingly, a lot of people are too busy working, which I don't really quite understand. It's for real estate investors. Yeah. I once had a friend tell me, she's like, I'm teaching everybody to be financially free because I need people to travel with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna be over here all traveling by myself. You guys gotta get financially free too. I like that. I like that. What a story, folks! As we close out, if you want to meet all the big wit investors, go to the slopes. Right. That's how you would it like. (laughs) Or the waves. Oh, the waves. Yeah, the go to the slopes of the waves. That's where you find the big wigs. One of my friends, our biggest investor, is from Tai Chi class. Biggest investor. There you go. Actually, you know what's funny? Dang, we're like, this is like a round table coffee discussion, which I love. Oh, this is dope. I, I like this. This is dope. I like you know, I, I, I totally forgot what question ne- we're on. Yeah, I mean, we never <laughs> dwelled in something in so many holes from like a Giordano round question because it's supposed to be short. But <laughs> you guys have to move this to like, <laughs> but it's dope. Uh, like I love it though. Or something. <laughs> yeah, we got to. That's that's the next step we're trying to push to. But the um, I was connected through, so I'm getting my my master's right now at USD, and that came from another connection from a person that does multifamily in Iowa. Got in the program, this this other cat is a, a veteran that I met. He owns one of the shopping centers in that Linda Vista area or something like that. So we go to this Thai spot, right? And we're supposed to just, like, connect and talk real estate or whatever. And so literally the first hour, we just talked UFC. He's like showing me videos. He has his trainer show up, big Brazilian guy. And literally like we sit down and we eat like Thai food and talk UFC for the first hour, hour and a half. And then literally afterwards, he like, it's almost like a, a, a switch flipped. He turns serious. He's like, so let's talk about real estate. Yeah. And then we talk about it. I'm like, what the fuck? But I guess that's just so as you know, you just meet people from all walks of life and you know, that was his passion, right? He, he just finished training with his trainer and Lily walked over in his sweats and we got food and it was awesome. So I guess we can close it at that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, Andre, we're, we're all in this business because we don't want to work in the corporate world because we probably don't want to work with people we don't like. So right. we want to work with people we like. And uh, if you can spend an hour talking about something you like and eating good food, that sounds like a fun person to do business with. Oh yeah, yeah man. So true. Right. Well, Dre Evans, IKK, Chi Nguyen. The super host, multi-family by the slice <laughs> podcast. We had our special guest, Tim Gordon. And thank you again, man, for making this the first ever round coffee table discussion on the episode. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, yeah, man. That was it cool. was super yeah. chill. 
I can feel the surfer vibes coming through. Appreciate it, man. He has that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is to our first long form, first long form interview because of Tim Gordon. Yes, yes. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch you all with the next episode. Peace. Right. Oh.